Hey Super Friends and welcome to this very special 24th edition of the Geico Podcast. You're here with Neil and Martin. Say hello Martin. Hello Martin. And would you like to tell the lovely listeners at home where we're standing right now? We're in another land. Another land? Uh, across the pond. Across the pond. In a tiny whiny place. We're five hours in the past. Uh, standing in the DC booze at the Javits Centre at New York Comic Con! Woo! We made it. Um, I felt like I was going to have to say that it was some sort of arduous journey, but it wasn't really. We got a train to the airport and got on a plane, and then... Well, I suppose there was a bit of an arduous journey. 500 hours in a van. Yes, our journey from the airport to the hotel was a little bit long, wasn't it? But we're here, uh, and behind me, I have a whole bunch of costumes from Birds of Prey. I can see Renee Montoya, and Harley Quinn, and Huntress, and Black Canary, and somebody who they say is named Cassandra Kane. I say that because I don't really feel like she's very Cassandra Kane. Why not? She can talk. Oh, okay. <laughs> then we've got a little signing booth that is just in front of us where we've seen people like Scott Snyder and Jim Lee and Tom King all sitting doing signatures and autographs for fans. There's a lot going on. But uh, before we tell you all about New York Comic Con, let's uh, travel back across the pond to ourselves at home, probably feeling very jet-lagged, to update you on uh, this week's news. So we got a few news stories to tell you about this week. I think the biggest of which is the first trailer, first full trailer, should I say, for Warner Brothers' Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of Harley Quinn. You're not of one Harley Quinn. I'm not sure. I keep saying of Harley Quinn, but I think it might be of one Harley Quinn. Or just pop. Bop, yes. You could call it Bop for short. That's what it says on the whiteboard over your head. Bop trailer. Um, I'm going to play it for you, and then we'll have a little bit of a chat about it. You know what a harlequin is? A harlequin's role is to serve. It's nothing without a master. No one gives two shits who we are beyond that. Joker and I broke up. I wanted a fresh start. But it turns out I wasn't the only Damon Gotham looking for emancipation. Spectacular news! Miss Quinn, she belongs to me. Who are you guys? Here's the deal, Quinn. You need me! He's after all of us now. None of us are walking out of here. Unless we work together. What you? <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Isn't this fun? It's just like the sleepover. <gasps> we should order pizza. Make cosmos. Harley, focus. Okay. they should be scared of. Boom. Not you, not Mr. J, because I'm Harley freaking Quinn. <laughs> Woo! Who's having a good time? Get ready, ladies. Oh, you're the 
I could check. They never call a woman a chick. I'll accept broad lady woman, and on occasion bitch. Bitch? What are you talking What's about? What's that for me, William? <laughs> what did you think of this trailer? It looked nuts. Okay. For a second there, I thought you were going to say it looks naff. Um, it, it is, it's pretty nuts. Just, it wasn't what I was expecting. Okay, so uh, what were you expecting that you didn't get? I don't know, I just wasn't expecting it to be that nuts. Or colourful, or a bit crazy in 80s, and like, ah, oh, in your face. It's very in your face. Um, I think the first thing that stuck out to me was the fact that there wasn't a huge amount of uh, Huntress or Black Canary that were in there. I'm kind of hoping that they're saving that for later, and they just want to suck people in by showing them a bit more of Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. I mean, if you think about... Uh, what we saw at New York Comic Con, that booth was like the banners were Harley, the the whole booth was Harley Quinn, um, which is kind of a shame because obviously the Birds of Prey should be Huntress, Black Canary, and Oracle slash Batgirl. But I just I hope it's because they want to sucker people in because it's a property that not many people know about. Yeah, it's very much a Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Yeah, it is, and there's been a few people who've mocked the logo online to change it and make the birds of prey bit really small and make the harley quinn bit really big to be like it's the emancipation of one harley quinn and the birds of prey we'll just have to wait and see really interesting that they've not shown off any footage of black mask with a black mask on yet but there was that sneaky bit where we almost saw a black mask yes there is so uh there's a point in the trailer and if you're uh, watching this podcast on youtube i'll put the the still in so you can see it um but there's a shot in the trailer where uh, Harley's holding onto the back of Black Mask's car. Cassandra Kane's in the car, and the person she's sat next to is trying to shoot Harley through the back windscreen. And you can see what looks like that person is wearing a mask, but it's just out of frame. So I think that is probably him. Interestingly, the Funko Pops that we saw at New York Comic Con also, there were two pops of Black Mask, and he wasn't wearing a mask in either of those either. Oh, maybe they're going to keep it secret. I'm not, hoping they're keeping it secret. Not going to do a Shazam. There's a funny shot in Shazam. No, oh, the okay. Shazam kids were out before the film. I'm with you now. There is a funky shot in the trailer where Ewan McGregor's kind of going a little bit mad and it's cut quite quickly where it's him just kind of leaning against a wall. But the portrait on the wall is a person with their face completely blacked out, uh, which I think is a little bit of a nod. There seems to be a lot of people that are also afraid that Black Canary's not going to have her canary cry. Again, I think there's a really subtle little hint in there that there's a shot when she's in Black Mask Club singing and the shot is her kind of blurred in the background and it's focused on a martini glass and the the liquid in the glass is vibrating. It's kind of rippling. So I think that was probably our first look at what will eventually be the canary cry. I won't do it. <laughs> okay. Next up I put in the news today, uh, The Walking Dead 3, which we saw... Well, actually, I was going to say we saw a little sneaky peek of at Comic-Con, but you left the room and went to the toilet. Um we oh, saw did a... they show a sneaky peek when I went to the toilet? Yeah, they showed a full trailer in the time that you went to the loo. Oh, God, it was quite a long way away. <laughs> yeah, there was a full trailer for The Walking Dead 3, which is still unnamed at the moment. Um, but it's been announced that in the UK, it's going to show on Amazon Prime. We got a press release sent through from them to say that they've got the exclusive rights in the UK to show The Walking Dead 3. Uh, and actually, it's worth noting that Amazon Prime, whilst we were away, also launched Swamp Thing. So Swamp Thing is now available to watch in the UK, thankfully. Uh, you can catch the full season now on uh, on Prime UK. It's called Monument Day because we are all monuments to the past. My dad is off laying the groundwork to change the world. 
to someday far in the future get us back to where we were. It may take generations to regain the level of sophistication our science will need, but my father has started the journey for us all. There are 9,671 people here. This is your life. You have to have seen enough to know what that means. City's like 10 times bigger and cooler than this place. It's all gonna be gone by the time I'm old enough to decide to go see it by myself. We're gonna be gone. We are the masters of our fate. How do we form our fate? You really think the world's gonna end? You didn't want dad to go, but he went and now he may be in trouble. If we get there, I mean, what's gonna happen? If we get there, we'll be different. We'll be ready. here to see what the world is, start to finish. I don't intend to finish before I start. You should be scared every time. Every single time that you are outside those walls. I need to make my life count. It's all I can do. Really, it's all any of us can do. We are the Endlings. interesting looking show actually um i don't want to say too much about it because they're still filming it and they haven't quite figured it all out yet but it looked really interesting the the walking dead 3 it's very much a teen drama version of the walking dead but with an interesting sort of um stand by me ish type premise so did i was slightly confused so is it set at the same time as the current walking dead or we're in the future i'm confused because it seemed like it was set in the future ish not like ma not massively in the future not like space zombies uh but slightly in the future and they talked about it as if it was and then later in the same panel the showrunner said there's no time difference and that's why there's no technology difference but there is a slight technology difference because they've lived in a community that's been safe this whole time yeah because i've seen that this is a generation that's grew up without seeing the zombies but there's yes. no time well I suppose they could say there isn't a time difference in that it's at the end of the current Walking Dead because that's yeah, on could be. what series 10, 10. yeah, yeah so, that's a, that's 10, that's a long so time. they're teenagers so yeah you could say that they were children when whatever happened happened and this is where we are now and we've only really seen them in Georgia Atlanta they've moved around a little bit but yeah so this could be another part of the country yeah there was a lot of talk at the Walking Dead Universe panel about opening up the whole world to show plenty of different countries and places that we've not seen yet. No release date set for this series as yet, but that is to confirm that the Walking Dead 3 is coming to Prime UK when it's eventually ready to launch in 2020. 
plenty of crisis on Infinite Earths reveals and things that have happened while we've been away as well. We got our first look at Brandon Routh in the Kingdom Come suit, which looks really cool. Looks very accurate to the comics to me. We saw a bunch of photos of him. So he, we saw the first picture of him, a couple of stills that Brandon Routh released. Then there was a still of him on set stood with Flash and then also with Tyler Hecklin in the suit. We've seen Tyler Hecklin alongside Tom Welling. Uh, not seen Tom Welling in any form of costume yet, other than his usual plaid shirt. But the guy's looking pretty, uh, pretty hench. Um, so he's obviously been uh, working out ready to put a costume on. Is that what the kids say? Yeah, it's what the kids say. We've also now seen our first look at Burt Ward. He's on set. He's been wandering around walking a dog. Could that be Ace the Bat Hound? It could be. What kind of dog was it? A very big dog. Could be. Was he wearing a, a red and yellow jumper? He was wearing a red, yellow and green jumper. Love him. Yes. What a man. Well, he's, he's not going to get his pants out, is he? His hair also looks like it's been dyed black. It's really, really, really dark. And I'm sure the last couple of times I've seen him do interviews, he's had more greyish type hair. Um, no real context or reveal to where he is or what it is that he's doing. It's just a picture of him walking a dog. Today, there's news that um, Tom Ellis appears to have been spotted on set in full Lucifer costume, filming alongside Matt, I was about to say Matt Smith, Matt Ryan. So could we have Lucifer Constantine teaming up? Maybe, maybe. We've seen um, Harrison Wells, Tom Kavanagh suited up as Pariah for the first time. We got the first shot of uh, Diggle's wife suited up as well, because she's now put a costume on. And the Michael Keaton reveal, should it be real. That was quite exciting. I'm a bit sad that they revealed it, though. But that's Well, they haven't revealed it. Someone is claiming that they spotted this on set and took a picture of it, in that they were like walking past and spotted a Gotham City Gazette that says, billionaire Bruce Wayne to marry socialite Selina Kyle with a picture of Michael Keaton. So that is not officially revealed, but spoiler revealed if it turns out to be true. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I've missed off that list. That's, that's quite an interesting way to bring the film universe into the TV universe. Yes. Without actually having to have them there. Yeah. Just have a little... Is it Earth break. 89? Oh, that would be exciting. <laughs> We've also seen both the Loises on set. So you've got uh, Bitsy Tulloch from Elseworlds and you've also got Erica Durantz from Smallville. Both have been on set separately and we've seen them together as well. And there's been plenty of filming going on down at the old Kent farm from Smallville. There's lots going on there. We've also seen Cress Williams in his Black Lightning costume flying the Wave Rider from Legends of Tomorrow. So that, it, I mean, it was all but confirmed, but that seems to be now completely confirmed that Black Lightning's in on it as well. Where did they learn to fly in the Wave Rider? Probably in the episode. Oh, okay. Last minute desperation. Um, oh, and um, so we've also seen a shot of Stephen Amell alongside Catherine McNamara that plays his daughter in the future in the woods in a sort of Lian Yu type place with Diggle and Constantine many different pairings are happening as we speak right now on that set a few shots of Batwoman but she seems to be on her own and a few shots of Supergirl and Flash together filming a few scenes but none of like the core cast of people together yet very exciting times ahead and we're only about eight weeks away from the first episode of the crossover airing now I think god is it that soon yep now the shows are back on because it's about episodes 8, 9 and we've had most of the episode 1s so I think it's episode 8 of Arrow and 9 of the of um, Supergirl, Batwoman, Flash so we, we are only 8 weeks away from the first episode airing now dum 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 last up for the news today is a Marvel story that happened almost right after we released our last podcast which was the news that Spider-Man is back in the MCU 
Having left the MCU for a brief period of time, he has now returned. Sony and um, Disney have now managed to do a deal. Uh, we kind of understand that Disney now has a larger share of the box office. So apparently Sony is still going to get 75% of the film's box office receipts. Disney will now get 25%, but will also now contribute 25% of the budget. So Spider-Man 3, is what we're calling it at the moment basically, is now uh, scheduled to arrive in cinemas on July the 16th, 2021. Tom Holland will be back. No news on whether the director will be back, but I would imagine having done the last two, he'll probably be back as well. No confirmation as to whether the Venom rumour is true or not. So the rumour was that Venom was one of the bargaining pieces that Sony wanted to get Venom into the you know, into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But no news on that one as yet, but production rolls ahead on Venom 2. Happy to have Spider-Man back? Well, that was always going to happen. Call me cynical. Cynical. Sony just had to sit back and wait, really, didn't they? Yeah, they did. I, don't, I mean, we don't know exactly what was the thing that came unstuck on that one, but um, yeah, it was bound to happen eventually. Although it, the rumour is that this is really is only for one more solo Spider-Man film and one more appearance in a, another Marvel movie, and that Feige is supposedly working on an exit strategy to get him out because he's worried that this is just going to keep happening until there's either completely no deal or is a deal. So supposedly we're, we're looking at a exit strategy for Spider-Man at this point to take him back out into his own universe again. So not set him up as a new Iron Man? No, so we may slightly have to backpedal on Spider-Man too, but watch this space and we'll find out in July 2021. That's all for the news for this fortnight. And we are now going to go back in time to ourselves over in New York to tell you all about New York Comic Con. So where do we want to start? In this ginormous venue of comicness. From the beginning. Okay. So we arrived here on uh, Wednesday night. We had a couple of hours to just chill out and hang around. We were going to go pick up our tickets but um, it took forever to get from the airport to the hotel, so we didn't end up doing that. We had a little wander around New York, but we've been here before. And then Thursday, we hit the convention center. I had to collect 13 tickets, <laughs> which it took a little bit of time, didn't it, to figure that one out? That poor woman at the desk wanted to hit you. Well, I'm sorry, but you know, I ended up buying tickets for myself, you, uh, Tasman, and for her fiance, Andrew, who came along yesterday for the Saturday. Um, I didn't realise that that meant that they had to count out 13 individual cards and activate them. Individually. Although, as it turned out, uh, she didn't explain to us one crucial point about the tickets, which was that each individual card was uh, associated with someone's email account. So we've all been booking ourselves into panels that other people have been getting emails for because we don't know who's who. Yeah, cause a bit of a uh, confusion. <laughs> it certainly did. So, what was your highlight of Thursday, day one, first day in the convention centre? Yeah, so, we got to go to the DC Meet the Publishers panel. Which was always fun to see Dan and Jim. Nothing too revelatory at that one. They announced the new Joe Hill line. They did, which uh, starts releasing on uh, Halloween, I think. is Or oh, that be the Thursday, so it'll be the day before. The 30th of October, the first of uh, Joe Hill's House of Horrors line for DC. It's a six-part series that starts with an issue called A Basket Full of Heads. They talked quite a lot about that one at the panel we went to on Friday as well, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They're really pushing it. They did, but I suppose it's Halloween, so it's that time of year, so it's sort of it's big on their agenda at the moment. 
I'm trying to, in my head, keep straight what we saw at the Meet the Publishers compared to what we saw at DC Nation that was the next day. Um, there were some revelations at Meet the not at Meet the Publishers at DC Nation, which I'll talk about in a sec. But what else did we touch on? I suppose it did Meet the Publishers. Jim made a solemn promise to protect Nightwing. Oh, he did. It got so a little bit awkward in the room. It did get a little bit awkward at the room. Uh, a fan asked a question of uh, what are they doing with Nightwing at the moment with the whole Rick Grayson thing, and what Jim said was, "Look." Uh, I'm a huge Nightwing fan, and I am going to do everything within my power to uh, protect that character. I tweeted and, that. And he did say that it was that you will see a normal Nightwing again next year. He did, yeah. I tweeted it, and someone responded straight away and just said, well, F him. Rick Grayson says otherwise. So, what, whatever really, isn't it? Yeah. There's obviously a plan with what to do with the character. It was a good Q&A session in that one. Uh, that was also the panel where someone was a bit cheeky and said, "Oh, hi! I'm also uh, I'm also a Lee. It's good to see any, another Asian brother on the on the uh, on the stage." And then just cheekily didn't really ask a question and just walked up and asked for Jim Lee's autograph and managed to get a selfie with him. There's a few cheeky people like that across the weekend. Got away with it though. He got to stand on the stage and sit next to him. He did. He did. Uh, I just, I can just I can listen to Dan DiDio talk for hours because I think he's a really charismatic guy and I think it's great with those two in charge because they really understand things from a writer's perspective and an artist's perspective at the same time. There's a lot of really interesting things to say about the young adult line as well. Um, Dan saying that DC see young adult and manga as the two biggest parts of the industry that are growing and so they want to push their characters into those areas to try and help expose new people to them. Yes, yeah, so they talk heavily about the the Raven series. Yes, which I was going to talk about in this podcast, but I've got a funny feeling that we maybe won't have time, given everything else that we need to talk about. So I'm going to park that one for the next uh, the next podcast. But if you want to read my review, it is up on the website now. So what about the Friday? What happened on Friday? Friday we went to DC Nation. Um, so that was hosted by Dan DiDio. We once again had Jim Lee, but also on the panel were Batman artist Tony Daniel, Tom King was there, Hugo Award winner Nora Jameson, who is writing a new uh, Green Lantern young adult graphic novel. We had Batman Damned artist Lee Bermejo. Uh, I think that was it. That feels like that was it. Yeah, that was everyone. That was an interesting one. Uh, that was quite a funny panel, really, because we... Uh, we had to endure poor Tom King being made to draw for the entire of the panel. Oh, he's not a good drawer. He's not, but it was really funny. So Dan uh, tasked Jim and uh, and Tom with drawing a whole bunch of sketches that would then be given out to fans during the Q&A. So as they were sketching, Dan was asking a lot of questions to each one of them. There was a lot of interesting tidbits of information. So Tom talked about moving on from the main Batman and moving on to his Bat-Cat series that starts in January to wrap up his story. He seemed really thankful for being able to do 85 issues of Batman in one whole complete run. You had Lee Bermejo that uh, did the artwork for Batman Damned who talked at length about how he doesn't feel that his artwork is dark but he is starting to realise that actually maybe it is. Um, he talked a lot as well about wanting to write more stories. He's written a few in the past but doesn't really see himself as a writer and uh, Nora Jameson that was sat next to him was saying to him do you write? And he said yes. And he, she said, so you are a writer then? Just, that's that's it. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. It was interesting listening to her talk about her new Green Lantern book that's coming out next year. So that is, uh, I think it was a brand new Green Lantern that she was talking about. It sounded like it was a female Green Lantern who is uh, in a very far-flung galaxy where rings don't quite work as they should do. 
and she wanted somebody who was still a Green Lantern but slightly depowered so that they couldn't just solve every problem with a ring. Uh, so it's kind of a slightly Wild West-esque uh, Green Lantern helping this new part of the universe that we've not seen before. And Tony Daniel was just a really nice guy to listen to, talk about all the different things that he's worked on uh, in the past. So I think that was probably my Friday panel highlight. And what about the timeline? Oh, of course, the timeline uh, that we're not really supposed to talk about. So towards the end of the panel, they unveiled their new DC Comics timeline that tells the three ages that goes right back to the beginning of DC continuity. So something that they'd been hinting about through both of those panels was about how bringing the JSA into Justice League, bringing the Legion into Superman comics, and re-establishing those parties was all part of bringing a new cohesive timeline to the DC universe. And then they spoke about how Doomsday was going to tie it all together and the the outcome of Doomsday. Yep. And so then that all culminates in this new timeline that they've been working on for like the last 12 months. And it goes back to the beginning, slightly controversial in that the first hero to emerge is now Wonder Woman. A lot of people think it's Superman, but the official DC continuity is now that Wonder Woman emerges and comes to America first, which would be right because that would be sort of World War One, World War Two. Yeah. You don't have Superman at that point in time. Um, and then we, it was hard to tell because it was just being projected on the screen and it was very, very small text. I did take some pictures of it, so if you have a look on Twitter, you'll be able to see them, but there's not very much you can make out. And it runs right through the three different phases. So there's like a pre-crisis, crisis, post-crisis to bring you right up to date and also jumps into the future to tell some of the things that we already know are set in stone that will happen in the future as well, like Batman Beyond. Um, I think they called it Batman of the Future. And and Legion and things like that. But it was interesting because I had seen it before. Had I not? You had. It was in the background in Dan's uh, DC Nation interview on last month's DC Daily's DC Nation slot because he once a month appears on the show to talk about what's happening in the next kind of four week period. And the last time he was on, it was recorded in his office and that timeline was behind him because I spotted a cover for Batgirl Year One that appears at the very top. So at the very, very top of the timeline are a few important covers to, to do landmarks. So there's the one of the covers from Batgirl Year One sits next to a Titans logo because obviously those two things happen at a similar point in time. And at the time, I remember thinking, "Hmm, what is this timeline that's sitting behind Dan DiDio here?" And he didn't comment on it. And when he did show it on screen during the panel, he kind of, I think, tongue in cheek said, "Nobody take any pictures and don't show this off." And after a few minutes, probably only maybe five minutes of it being on screen, he said, "Right, we'll take that down now." And it was like, "We won't talk about that again." But clearly there are very big plans for the wider universe to make sure that everything ties in and there's a lot of work going on there in terms of making sure that they're happy with their universe and how all their characters are placed I mean that's that's like that's a lot of effort it's a long game somebody asked them how long it took to put it together and Jim just said we've got a great team that really care about this stuff god I mean it'd be nice if they once it's all done if they did release it it would be great to see it and to read through it I could spend hours studying that because there was different Obviously, there's a three different phases. There was like three different sets of lines, so I don't know if that's like a prime universe, multiverse, black label. I don't know how it quite works, but there was a lot of stuff that was on there. You could quite easily get lost in it for a very, very long time. It would be quite a nice sort of marketing thing to do as well, so if you're new to DC and you don't know where to start, like, well, yes. let's just go to the timeline. Yes. Uh, Dan also announced that he's coming back to writing comics with a new Metal Men series, which was, uh, we showed off some, we were shown, sorry, some preview artwork from it, which looked pretty cool. 
there's a new member of the Metal Men team that's being introduced who's made of Ents Metal to tie everything into Dark Knight's Metal and the rest of everything that's been happening in the DC Universe, so that should be pretty cool. That's coming end of this year, I think. Uh, yeah, so I think it's at December. Um, I've got a few shots from the preview artwork, which again are on Twitter if you want to take a look. I'm trying to think if there's anything else on that panel. I don't think so. I think that's all the major headlines. What was your Friday highlight? So I suppose my highlight on Friday was... I'm going to say Artist Alley. Ooh, okay. It was very cool down there. It was very, it was crazy busy, though. It really was busy down there. But I like to see all the names that I can't pronounce. I'm like, oh, that's what they look like. It was funny because we were walking along and I was saying to you, oh, you said that wrong on the podcast. Oh, you've said that wrong on the podcast. Uh, it, I mean, you always get an Artist Alley at things like MCM. And we've walked around Artists Alley at San Diego before but this felt like a really heavy hitting list of names. We had like Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo and Sam Humphreys, Sam Humphreys James, James Tyne, Tyne in the Force, in the force yeah. Clay Mann, Frank Miller Brian Azzarello, not that he was there but his name was there, um, Tom King it was just like what, what Mitch Gerrards Every, it was just like everyone was there and they were actually there. Yeah it was crazy so I, um, I have to admit I was a little bit of a fanboy and I did get a picture with Scott Snyder and I did get a picture with Tom King. Uh, I was ticking off my little list of Batman writers from my uh, from my list of people to meet. Both of them were really nice as well which was also really cool Tom King especially actually. It was really nice I chatted to him for a couple of minutes you'd run off to the toilet again or inopportune moments for you to run away you gotta go when you gotta go. That's a good point. You missed. Okay, just just putting this aside for a second. You missed the DC timeline because you went for a wee. You missed Tom King because you went for a wee. You missed the trailer for The Walking Dead Three because you went for a wee. <laughs> Your bladder missed some quite heavy events. But it's very difficult to find a time to go to the bathroom in these places. Yes, <laughs> this is true, especially when the queue's like forty-five minutes. Anyway, that's quite enough of your bladder talk. Tell us more about Artis Alley. Um, it was just a magical, magical place. With lots of nice artwork, which we may have brought some back with. We didn't buy too much. I thought we would have bought more, actually. So we bought back three prints, all of which were from Chris Anker. Uh, you might know him as comics uh, artist and inker, best known for his work on Marvel Comics, X-Men, Runaways, Captain Marvel, and his 2014 redesign of Spider-Woman. He also did uh, an issue of Young Justice for DC earlier this year. So we have Nightwing, we have Red Hood, and we have a Robin. So we've got a Dick Grayson, a Jason Todd, and Tim Drake, I think it is. It definitely doesn't look like a Damien. Um, I'm going to say it's Tim Drake purely because it's probably from his run on Young Justice. Yes. So uh, we look forward to putting those up on the wall when we get home. Yeah. I just hope they don't get creased in the suitcase on the way back. It's always a concern. We'll wrap them up. So... Saturday. Now, what could we possibly have done at New York Comic Con on Saturday? Now, we wanted to go to the Angel reunion panel, although disappointing to find out that David Boreanaz wasn't a surprise guest. Um, but we did later on get to see the cast do a little um, presentation on the live stage, so we still got to see them. So we went straight to Madison Square Garden, to the Hulu Theatre, and queued up for uh, The Walking Dead, although that wasn't something that we were necessarily there for. But we saw the Walking Dead panel, which was interesting. They showed us the first five minutes of the season 10 premiere of The Walking Dead. We had quite a lot of the cast were there. Um, I'm not going to read out all the names because I haven't watched The Walking Dead since season 8 and I don't quite remember who everyone is. But Norman Reedus was there. Jeffrey Dean Morgan was there. 
and Denai Gurira was there, which was really nice because it was her last Comic Con because she's leaving as Michonne this year, and there was a huge standing ovation for her from the whole cast as well as people that were in the room as well. There was a lot of love for her, which was really really nice. Yeah, and there was a, as a surprise guest as well. There was a surprise guest. Which I'm not sure if that was really a surprise or was it planted. I would say it was a plant in terms of the presenter knew that um, she was there. I don't think the cast knew that she was there because Norman Reedus looked like he was going to cry. Um, I would presume that they knew what there was going to be announced, but I don't think they maybe knew that she was going to be there. So during the Q&A session, somebody went up who was dressed as uh, Negan, but with a um, with a mask on so you couldn't see their face. And they asked a random question, which was like something like, can I come and get a selfie? So they bring the person up on stage, drop goes the mask, and it was... Um, Maggie! Maggie! Yes. Lauren Cohan surprised everyone by turning up on stage and announcing her return to the series during season 10. Sounds like it's a permanent return as well, given that the show that she left for has been cancelled. <laughs> um, but that probably that must mean that they've worked out their um, their financial issues that were the reason why she left in the first place, because that was the rumour that she, being the female lead, was not happy that she wasn't being paid the same as her male counterparts. So nice to have her back. And yeah, Norman Reedus seemed pretty excited and upset at the same time in a very sort of emotional way to have her randomly just appear like that on stage. So we had about an hour and a half of The Walking Dead and then they talked about The Walking Dead 3 which uh, we will have just ta- told you about during the news section but um, it looks really interesting. They showed us a full trailer which I think has been released now actually. I, I forgot to follow up to see if it was but I think IMDB posted it. Uh, it has no titles yet because the program isn't named. The cast came out and talked a bit about it. There's some slightly awkward comedy in the trailer that I didn't feel very at ease with. A lot of it felt like The Walking Dead, but with a younger cast. But there was a, there was a shot at the end of the trailer which was really awkward, where one of them sees um, an empty, because they're not known as walkers, for the first time. And she goes to stab it, but before she stabs it, she vomits on it. Um, and then you get that really awkward comedy pause where you know that something funny is about to happen, and then the zombie just goes, ah! like it's almost like it's pretending to choke on her vomit, and it's funny but it didn't feel very funny so I'm not really sure about the tone of that show from that but as far as I could tell they've only shot a few episodes so it's still very much figuring out what it is um, but it certainly will be interesting for based on the premise to see something slightly different but the real reason that we were in that room was the panels which came next what were they for? Um, oh yeah, I can't remember no? no? wasn't really wasn't anything major was it really? Um, so you had season three of uh, Star Trek Discovery, and then uh, a panel for season one of Star Trek Picard. I don't really know how I didn't weep like a baby. I think you did a little bit. <laughs> I might have. Uh, I might have inside. So first up, they had. Uh, so it was the Star Trek Universe panel, although it focused on Discovery and Picard. They didn't touch hugely on Lower Decks or any of the other things that are going on. Although they did announce that. Um, they announced all the release dates for the next set of short treks and then also revealed that the first short trek dropped during that actual panel, um, which was focusing on number one and Spock's first day on the Enterprise. Can I just point out that this is why I missed the Walking Dead trailer, so I could have a pee before Picard? Ah, okay, well that makes more sense. That was strategic on your part. It was a tr- strategic wee. So at uh, the Star Trek Discovery panel, we had um, we had the producers of the show, including Alex Kurtzman, who is running the the Star Trek universe. Then we had Sonequa Martin-Green, who uh, plays Michael Burnham. We had Saru. 
we had everyone was there everyone i'm forgetting names because i'm too excited for remembering it but basically the whole mage cast of the series was there including um the guy that has just played manchester black in supergirl that's joining for season three we got a new trailer which failed to play properly the first time and looked really arty but the sound had just cut out well i thought that was on purpose i thought oh god maybe she's lost her hearing because we're in the future I just thought it was really arty because everything was in slow-mo so I thought why would there be sound because it's in slow-mo and you could still hear the music you just couldn't hear dialogue so I just thought it was a really arty trailer but we got to see some more of what's happening with uh, the USS Discovery once it arrives 930 years in the future definitely not the landscape that I expected to see them arrive in so I need to go back and watch the season 2 finale but she must arrive separately to the rest of the ship because it seemed like she there were some shots of her in like a shuttlecraft and her hair kept changing like, um, well, yeah, it's not what happens. So at the end of the last season, she gets sucked through in that angel costume. She did, didn't and then she? They go and get her. Or yeah. Get so her. there's obviously going to be a little period of time where Burnham has to try and find the Discovery and meet them, and possibly doesn't even know that they're there. She might feel like she's in this future on her own, and then they get reunited. Um, the uh, the Federation definitely don't seem to be uh, the driving force of the universe anymore, do they? Well, I suppose this is the future where that with the big bad has come from and has destroyed everything. It could be. Because it's that AI that... Well, no, That the thing is, though, that future, everything, all life had been wiped out in the galaxy, so it can't quite be that. It must be the future that they've created by wiping it out. Oh, it's all getting a bit timey-wimey paradoxy. But certainly the Federation seems to be more of a legend than an omnipresent force. Yeah. Because you you saw a Federation flag, and it seemed to be almost being revered as something mythical, um, and that they were something to be beholden to that they've now arrived so that's going to be really interesting to see they were a really nice cast they all seem to get on really well there was a huge round of applause for Sinequa Martin-Green when she arrived and basically any time she spoke must have been really interesting for her being on after The Walking Dead as well being that that was where she came from but it was a cool panel I have to admit though as much as it was exciting and I loved seeing that trailer um, and I got to run up to the stage at the end and take a really cool photo of them all from really close up I was feeling pretty uh, anxious about what was coming next, though. I'll tell you what, before we talk about what came next, why don't we play the trailer for Star Trek Discovery Season 3 so you can have a listen to it yourselves. I've spent a year searching for that domino that tipped over and started all of this. You believe in ghosts. What does that mean? That badge on your shirt. I watched this office every day, believing that my hope was not in vain. And that hope is you, Commander Burnham. This ship bears the name Discovery. She has carried us into the future. And it will be our privilege to make that future bright. Let's see how this plays out, shall we? Where will you go? Wherever the answers are. Highlight moment of the trailer, or even that part of the Star Trek panel for you? Just Discovery. We're not talking Picard just yet. I think it was interesting that they said that they will not be going back to their normal time. I think they said that not long after season two finished, but it's interesting that they're deciding to stick with that and they're very much going to stay in the future. I wonder if that is to give themselves some creative freedom 
from that time period. They were very clear that they were very they didn't want to upset continuity. And I think the thing is, and I said this, uh, didn't I, after, sometime after that panel, that I felt like perception online about Discovery is often that it's like Star Trek light or not very well respected Star Trek, as if it's just some other people attempting to do something in the Star Trek sandbox that doesn't really work. But that was a packed theatre. There wasn't a spare seat in the house and everyone absolutely rose to their feet for that cast and loved that cast and everything that they did. And it's completely changed my perception of it. So I now wonder if moving them to a separate time period is to allow them to keep going for as long as they can. Yeah, because they're in, so they're so far in the future now that they're not going to upset continuity. So then you have to worry about is it the Kelvin timeline? Is it the the TV timeline? And people can say, can they come up against the Borg? And instead of just having to say no, they can say, well, maybe if the Borg still exists in this 930 years in the future timeline. Which I'm sure they will. But I would just like to point out that where is the time Starfleet Federation? The Temporal Federation, the is that what called? Or something like that, yeah. Because when Jamie started messing around in time, they were on her case. Yeah. That's that's a fair point. USS um, Relativity was on her like a rash. You should have gotten up and asked that question during the Q&A panel. I don't want to be that person. Uh, excuse me, in episode 164... Somebody... Did you, did you pick up that somebody said that to yeah. Patrick Stewart and then said, no, no, I'm joking, I'm not really asking you. Um, yeah. Cool, very, very cool panel. One of the one of my favourite panels I think I've probably ever been to. Um, followed by a panel, which is my favourite panel that I've ever been to, uh, not including Kevin Conroy, uh, which was Star Trek Picard. So once again, uh, executive producers came out on stage and were then joined by the cast. So we had... Um, we didn't have any Brent Spiner, we didn't have any Jerry Ryan, unfortunately, but we did have the new kind of younger cast that are joining Picard and Sir Patrick Stewart. Now, there is no way to explain just how well-received he was when he entered the room. So I recorded it, and I'm going to play the video for you right now. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll get to see it. If you're listening to us on any other platform, you'll get to just hear the sheer amount of screaming, which may or may not include myself. Probably heavily your scream. Give it up! MSG welcome for Sir Patrick Stewart! a little bit less cohesive than Star Trek Discovery just because any time Patrick Stewart did anything there was just a deafening scream that went on for about five minutes so they kind of chatted for a little bit just about the show and then he said oh you know when we came out at San Diego Comic Con uh, all this stuff came out straight away that people found out that we played an exclusive trailer and they were all going oh yeah I remember seeing that and then he said but we needed to do something special for New York Comic Con as well roll the video 
and I don't know that anybody really watched that trailer for the first time they played it. I think it was just, again, about two and a half minutes of people just screaming with excitement. Because you saw Data, you saw Riker, you saw Troy, you saw Seven of Nine. There was so much that went on in that trailer. It was crazy. It was an emotional roller coaster. Even just sitting next to you during that trailer was an emotional roller coaster. I mean, I think I probably clawed holes in your leg every time something happened. Because it was just, oh my god, every moment of it was just amazing. So I was quite glad that when it finished, he then just sort of stood up and said, roll it again! Um, so, in honour of Sir Patrick Stewart rolling it again, here is the trailer, trailer 2 for Star Trek Picard, which is now confirmed to premiere on January the 23rd on CBS All Access in North America. That most likely means that it will follow the same pattern as Discovery and will premiere in the UK on the 24th, and that will be on Amazon Prime, not on Netflix, because it's on a different platform. Uh, so here is trailer 2 for Star Trek Picard. Would you like to finish it, Captain? I don't know how. That is not true, sir. find safety but one is never safe from the past please sir someone's after me i have an appointment your name please sir picard p-i-c-a-r-d it's nice to see you up and around again we have an obligation to investigate there is no we jean admiral i am standing up for the federation for what it should still represent this is no longer your house jean go home i have to help her you really want to go back out into the cold more than ever i have a plan another top secret unauthorized rescue mission this is everything that ever mattered to me. I'm going with you. I need your skill and your courage. The past is written. <laughs> but we are left to write the future. Hold on. <laughs> she was sent for a reason. I'll get the information we need. I help people who have no one else to help them. Dad! What? Come out here! Stop yelling! It's Jean-Luc Hello, Will. Jean-Luc. <laughs> we all have a story. I'm just waiting to be claimed. Thank you for not trying to talk me out of all this. <laughs> Believe me, I know better. <laughs> There's just so much in this trailer. 
we did so much. A whole hour just talking about it, the trailer. But I we know. Well, no, we won't. We won't completely uh, go through it all. Give me your three top highlights now. Go quick, uh, really so fast. Number one. I'd like to know who the person is that Seven of Nine is holding and crying over. Yep, very is, good. Number is, two. What, what? Let me finish. Is that? Is that a stand-in Chakotay or is it a child of if they stay together? Uh, it's not Chakotay because he's too young. Yeah. Point you said, two. You said his name wrong. What did I say? You went Chakotay. That's Chakotay. Okay. Uh, point two would be seeing Riker and Troy. That was really nice to see them. Interesting that his house looks very much like uh, Kirk's house from Generations. There's a similar sort of reflection there of Picard walking in on someone in their little country mansion. Making eggs. Making eggs. Yeah. Clearly Riker and Troy have had a child because you hear the kid go, Oh, it's Captain Picard! Um, whilst Deanna's doing a bit of gardening out the back. That was nice. They're obviously living a happy life. Um, and then I think point three would just have to be all the action. I thought this was going to be a relatively slower-paced story, but there was a lot of action in this. Uh, I'm sure they mentioned that it was going to be ten episodes from uh, from that panel as well. So uh, it seems like it might actually be quite a uh, quite a balls-to-the-wall action thriller of a Star Trek series. Yeah. I would also. I'm going to ask you what your top three points are in just a second, but I'm going to have a bonus fourth point which would be for the soundtrack in this trailer. I really, really like that cello piece of music that plays at the beginning. Don't say it. I can see you wanting to go cello. Um, it's a, a just really nice soundtrack, and I hope that that is something that we actually get to hear in the series itself, because I also think that Discovery has a really great soundtrack as well. Mm, I do love a bit of a cello. So, your top three Picard trailer moments. Number one, go. The dog. Number two. Seven of nine. Number three. Data. Is it Data? Is it B9? Probably a dream, so probably Data. Looking a little bit older. A little bit rounder. Wig's not quite in the right place, but you know. Well, it's a dream sequence. Everything's a bit hazy in a dream sequence. <laughs> this is true, yeah. It's the first time we're seeing Data in full-on HD, other than remastered HD. Uh, anything else from that panel that you really enjoyed? I, it was just a blur of Patrick Stewart for me. Just everything of Sir Patrick or Stewart. Once again, I ran up to the stage to get some photos of, uh, of the cast, kind of just all having a little hug on stage at the end, which was very cool. Uh, Got a little nod from Sir Patrick, which was very nice. I don't think I've ever seen you and Nicola move so fast in my life. I know, I know. Uh, yeah, it was very exciting. Uh, absolute highlight of the weekend. Um, I just remember like uh, a sea of coats and bags being thrown at me. Whole days! <laughs> run! Run! Um, Sunday. Highlights on Sunday. We did the Star Trek activation, which was very cool. Yeah, uh, a little badge. So yeah, I'm my denim jacket, which I, you, if you see me photographed when I appear at random events, I'm always wearing my denim jacket, and I now have a Starfleet visitors pass on it. Um, we got to go around a little installation of props, which are partly from Picard but other Star Trek series, and then stand inside a 3D transporter, like weird video activation thing. Um, Nicola did say I can post it, so I will. Again, if you're watching this on YouTube right now, you will be seeing us all react to the transporter. Um, but if not, head over to YouTube and find the around 45-minute mark in this podcast, and you will get to see us look really silly in a small room watching a video wall of transporters. I really wish they would have let us do it twice. Oh, really? Why? Because then I could have prepared my responses. I wasn't really sure what was happening. Okay. So I'm just so like, oh, wobble. Ooh. We weirdly beamed down and then beamed back up and then suddenly we were in space and someone was shooting at us. But there was like this weird like warp bit as well. Yes. Which was very confusing. Uh, what else have we been up to today before we unfortunately get kicked out of here and sent home? Uh, Batman. 
Batman. So today there was it was a bit of a tough choice for today. Uh, there is a Warner Brothers panel which is happening now over in the Hulu Theater where we saw Star Trek, which is uh, like Riverdale and uh, Nancy Drew and a couple of those other shows. But they're also showing the premiere of Harley Quinn in full and the premiere of Batwoman with um, with a cast. Q&A session but we don't know who's here for Batwoman so I don't know if it's Ruby Rose or not It'd be cool if it is but we took the decision that we wouldn't go to it because there was plenty of stuff that we needed to do here still so instead we've just come out of a Batman Beyond 20th anniversary panel with Kevin Conroy and Will Friedle. Um sadly no Bruce Tim, but James Tucker and Alan Burnett two of the producers of the show were there and the absolutely wonderful lovely Andrea Romano who's the voice director who did everything from Batman the animated series right through all the animated movies up to sort of two or three years ago and it was hosted by Gary from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment who I love Gary is awesome I will I just love a Gary panel he was very strict. He was, yes. But rightfully so. Because, um, so what he did was, when it got to the Q&A portion of the of the presentation, he asked very specifically, uh, he basically he said, we've got 24 minutes left and we want to do Q&A. We want meaningful questions. So I want you to come up to the microphone, tell me who you are, because we've got some stuff to give away, um, and ask your question. We don't want to hear how much you appreciate the work that these guys did, because you being here is appreciation enough. And a couple of people tried to, and he cut them off, which was great. Because actually, when you think about that Star Trek panel, in the context of that panel, it was lovely because they were all being told how great they were. And I felt like they deserved that because they get a lot of stick for what they do at the same time. But not a lot of questions got asked at Star Trek. It was mainly just giving love for it. But in the context of like LGBTQ representation and things like that, which is nice for them to hear, for people to just say, oh, Kevin Conroy, you're my favourite Batman, feels like beaten a dead horse because everyone knows Kevin Conroy is the best Batman. So we had some we had some good questions about things that they remembered, favourite episodes. Uh, it was interesting to learn that they all did random other voices. So we've heard the Kevin Conroy story a million times about how he's the first voice you ever hear in Batman. Um, but to know that all of them did other characters like uh, the, the person who played Julie. Julie? No, she did play Julie. <laughs> she was Julie in Friends. Yeah. That's what we learned. That was the revelation of the panel. Like, she, oh my god, that's Julie from Friends. She's the voice of Dana. Uh, Google her name for me because I can't remember off the top of my head, and I feel really bad. But to learn that she was the voice of every female TV presenter in the whole of Batman Beyond was quite interesting, um, and that Will Friedle did scenes playing off against himself was quite interesting as well. That actually Andrea got him to do. Um, one particular scene where he didn't even stop in between. He was just jumping from line to line being two different characters. Go, what was her name? Julie from Friends is called Lauren Tom. Lauren Tom, that's the one. Um, she didn't get to say very much during that panel, which was a shame. No, bless her. Almost kind of because the focus was so much on Kevin and Will that yeah. she was just like, oh, I'm here. They've got a really great dynamic though, even after all these years, which was really nice. And Kevin had flown in directly from the set of Crisis on Infinite Earths as well, so lots of people were surmising things about the fact that he had a beard that his Bruce Wayne will have a beard and was Will flying back with him to the set. Um, that would be amazing. But we saw them twice. We've seen them twice today because they were on the live stage earlier. Um, they were on right before the Angel cast, uh, which was also fun to see today, actually. I quite like that. Highlight of today? Probably the, the Batman panel. Time is time is running out. We get kicked out of here at 5pm, so no, it's, nearly, it's, it's nearly time to go it's home. precious shopping time. I know. Um... One other thing that was really cool, there was a surprise Warner Brothers theatrical signing. We didn't win the lottery to go to it, but we saw what happened, basically, which was that it was... I mean, it wasn't hard to guess what was going to be the signing because you had the Birds of Prey costumes already in the booth. 
But yesterday, the Warner Brothers booth went from this huge black curtain being behind the Birds of Prey characters to a huge pink curtain. And the signing stage went from just a normal backdrop of DC characters to a Birds of Prey backdrop. So it was so obvious what was going to happen. And even all the stuff in the trophy cabinet went from generic. It went from black and white. It went from all the black and white Batman statues to black and red Harley Quinn statues. So it was just it was just so clear what was going to happen. But they uh, they surprised everyone who'd won for this theatrical Warner Brothers signing with Margot Robbie, um, uh, Jenny Smollett, who's playing Black Canary. You had the girl that's playing Cassandra Kane, and you had Rosie Perez, who's playing um, Renee Montoya, who all came out and did the signing. Sadly, no Mary Elizabeth Wanstead. She wasn't there, so no Huntress. But that was also really cool. Okay, uh, so that was kind of... That's probably all of our panel things. My other highlight of the weekend was waving at Amy Dallin from DC Daily and throwing her off while she was filming, which I apologised for on Twitter. And she replied and said, No, it's okay. Hope you're enjoying your con. They should wave back and it ended up in the really awkward edit when the live show came out. No, I know, I know. Look, we all know that we all know that I watch DC Universe and we all know I love DC Daily and I love all of those hosts. So I saw Hector and Amy filming a sequence and I couldn't help it, I just waved. And I did feel a bit bad, but when I went to the toilet during DC Nation, obviously I wasn't allowed back in the room. Yes. So I had a little wander back round Art Stanley by myself and I got to see Humphreys. You saw Sam Humphreys, who I didn't get to see. I was going to say hi, but he had a massive queue of people waiting to see him, and he was very, very chatty. I was going to say, looking at his Instagram story, he spent a lot of time chatting to people, so actually that's really nice that they got to. I sadly didn't get to, but one day, Shumfries, I will get to meet you. So tell me what were your highlights of the convention outside of the panels. So show floor, cosplay, um, outside stuff like the DC Universe HQ, stuff like that. What were your highlight moments? Number one, go. Uh, DC Universe HQ. Yeah, because yeah, that was really cool, even though we got to go into the VIP lounge, or members-only lounge. So technically I was allowed in the members' lounge, because I'm a member of DC Universe. Um, it also meant that I managed to pick up all six of the limited edition Harley Quinn animated series pins, which I was very excited about. But um, yeah, we, we did bring you and Nicola and Chris into uh, the lounge. But no one checked, we just sort of wandered in, like, oh, hello, come in. I, oh, took okay. some, I know, I took free posters and everything. Because they, they had like couches out, they were showing BTAS, yep. they had free snacks, so that was cool. Yep. And then upstairs was the Harley Quinn art gallery. Oh, it was so cool up there. Uh, Amanda Connor was up there doing an interview for the press, uh, who, uh, I mean, everyone knows as one of the Harley Quinn artists. I love Amanda Connor's artwork. Uh, so that was really, really cool to see. You've got to do that thing with the baseball bat, which I didn't do. So when you entered, it was kind of a flow around the room in a sort of anti-clockwise direction. Uh, And it started out, it was like a history of Harley Quinn through artwork. So it started out with character sketches from Betas, some original cells from the series as well, which is really cool. There was concept art from Suicide Squad as well as Birds of Prey. There were props there, so Harley's rollerblades, uh, her mallet was there as well as her, um, her bat, her baseball bat. There was also quite a lot of production art for the animated series, as well as just some art inspired by. And then when you got to the end, there was a little activation that you got to do where uh, you got to put yourself in a trailer for the animated series. So they announced that it's going to be premiering on November the 29th on DC Universe. That's when the first episode will air. I have a feeling that's the same day that Titans ends. So I think we might have a day where we get two new shows on the same day. Uh, Or it might be that it's the week after. I could be wrong. Um... So I got to hold a uh, one of the prop bats from Suicide Squad and swing it at the camera, and then in the video uh, it like paint splatters the screen. It's like Harley Quinn coming soon, uh, and I got a compliment from the guy that was filming it because I turned the bat round in my hand so that the like good night bit that's written up it actually like hit the screen, which was very cool. 
bring them into game before you destroy oh my god the set. i was so nervous because of that and that's the reason why i didn't do it because i thought oh god i'm gonna do that i'm not gonna do it i don't normally do stuff like that because i am quite nervous at around people i don't know like that surprisingly um but i was like no i need to do it because i never do these things and it's like it's just it's this is an opportunity not to be missed to swing harley quinn's bat and then I was stood there and the guy before me swung it properly like he was in a baseball match and absolutely smashed the green screen that was behind it. It wasn't the green screen, it was the light above his head. Oh, was it? Yeah. I thought he'd hit the metal frame that the green screen was attached to. No, it was a giant light because it was swinging afterwards. Oh. Uh, but then the guy handed me the bat and I presumed it being a movie prop. It would be like, a, not like a styrofoam version, but you know, like a, like something that you would make out of part of your cosplay. You know what I mean? Like a foam version. Um and then it's just painted to look real. It was actually a real baseball bat, which is why I nearly dropped it, because it was so freaking heavy. Based on the damage the man did before, yeah? Yes. It was proper, and it was very, very proper, and it was very, very heavy. <laughs> you a penny worth place there. Proper bat! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, I'm glad that was one of your highlights. That would be one of mine as well. And, uh, anything else? Uh, other highlights the DC booth because that's always a happy happy place to be start and end every convention at the DC booth I think I've got like 50 million badges we'll be giving some away in I've a future like podcast 50 million pin pricks in my fingers and scooping them up yep and what else just the convention floor I think because it's just mad I think it's probably the busiest convention I've ever been to in my entire life I, I used to think San Diego was mad but this was like mad, mad. it's more people in San Diego and not necessarily a big it, it, yeah I would I think I would still say San Diego is my number one convention in the world but this was something else the fact that it's split level as well there was what like four floors basement level with artist alley main stage queuing and panel rooms uh, entrance hall with food and DC then up to main convention floor then up again to the sci-fi wire lounge it was five floors because then it was up again to the cosplay lounge yeah. it's big very big very cool building very very cool building that I realised we've walked past before when we've done the High Line in New York but I've never realised that's where it was oh I think my, my find for the, the holiday yep. has to be the Hocus Pocus Funko yes we picked up uh, the three box set Hocus Pocus of the Sanderson sisters with their wands which is no it's not with their wands he's shaking his head at me their brooms, and in one case, uh, you should know Hoover. it's their brooms because for the last five days we've watched Hocus Pocus because yes. it is on ABC Family every night. Freeform, Freeform. Uh, yes, Freeform's thirty-one days of horror featuring thirty screenings of <laughs> Hocus Pocus. Forty dollars here, ninety pound back in the UK, so not bad. What a bargain! Yes, thank you, New York Comic Con. Um, my highlights: uh, waving at Amy Dallin. Uh, I was about to say Hocus Pocus badges Harley Quinn badges um, Birds of Prey Funko they look pretty fun going to look out for those being on the shelf next year um, God I think I've just loved all of it apart from how busy it's been and how much I've walked I feel like I've walked like 20 kilometres a day for the last four days while we've been here definitely going to need a lie down for the next like three days before we go back to London I agree Right. Anything else that you want to say about New York Comic Con? No, I think we've covered pretty much everything. We're ready to jump back into the future. Yes. Okay, so we are... I feel like Doc Brown. <laughs> we've got to go back to the future. We will sign off from here in the Javits Centre in the wonderful DC booth 
Thank you for an amazing New York Comic Con 2019. We might be back next year. Maybe we'll be in San Diego. Maybe we'll go somewhere else. We shall have to wait and see. But to uh, round things out, we're going to park our usual comic book review. And we're also, at this rate, we're going to have to talk about about six episodes of Titans the next time we podcast. Oh, God. Um, I think, you know, we could spend about five episodes talking about it all now. Yes. Uh, we will also park Batwoman that we will be watching tonight. Uh, and we are going to talk to you about Joker. And that is going to be it for us this week. So, signing off from New York and sending our consciousness all the way forwards in time back to London. Here's the trailer for Joker. Arthur, does it help to have someone to talk to? My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose. To bring laughter and joy to the world. Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? Though your heart is aching, smile, even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by. What? If you smile <laughs> to your fear and sorrow, smile, and maybe tomorrow. <laughs> What's so funny? Freak! <laughs> Gotham has lost its way. What kind of coward would do something that cold-blooded? Someone who hides behind a mask. I used to think that my life was a tragedy. But now I realize it's a comedy. So Joker is directed by Todd Phillips. It stars Joaquin Phoenix as Arthur Fleck slash Joker, Zazie Beetz and Robert De Niro. It's in cinemas across the globe now, so you can run out and see it. It is the number one movie globally as we speak, having broken the record for the biggest October weekend, the biggest weekend of everyone who's in its career, uh, the biggest Monday in October, the biggest Tuesday in October, and most likely to be the biggest second weekend of October of all time. Congratulations. Warner Brothers, well done. What do we say about this film? Firstly, actually, a huge thank you to Warner Brothers for inviting us to the UK premiere because it was one hell of a night and we got quite a lengthy Q&A session with Joaquin Phoenix and Todd Phillips, which was very, very cool. And I ticked something off my bucket list, which was to go to a premiere hosted by Edith Bowman. 
What a woman. And you were standing behind her on the way out as well. Yes, yes I was. How exciting that was. Which I didn't um, realise because I was like, oh my God, there was Edith Bowman. He's like, oh, she's right behind me. Yes. Awkward. Um, uh, I loved this film. I, I hoped that I would and I really, really did. Um, there were times when I felt very uncomfortable watching it uh, and there were times that I had to slap myself, uh, not physically, um, mentally, from beginning to feel sympathy towards Arthur Fleck when he didn't really deserve it, but it certainly made me think quite a lot about society and classism and how this set of circumstances could easily happen in everyday life. However, I would like to point out that I don't, in saying that, I don't think it can incite violence in any way, shape or form. That's a very, yeah, yeah. The, the reason I say it is there are a lot of reviews that have spoken negatively about the film, suggesting that it could incite violence. There was this, there was the protest from the family members of what happened uh, at the Dark Knight Rises shooting, which I, that, that I get. I can understand their sensitivity at seeing another Joker on screen, particularly being portrayed as someone who is quite violent. What I don't believe is that anyone will watch this film and leave it wanting to commit acts of violence. In all honesty, it's just a representation of what can happen in society when you have somebody who has an affliction like Arthur had and how a particular set of circumstances can push him into that kind of situation. If his circumstances had been different, it would have turned out differently. I just think there's... A very fine line between people's perception of this film as being inciting or representative. And my I fall very much on the side of it represents a situation, not incites a situation. What were your thoughts on this one? It's an interesting debate. I'll give you that. It's very interesting. I'm very much on the fence. Oh, really? On the debate. Not the film. The film's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I've never been so stressed in a cinematic experience in my life before. What was it that made you stressed? Just that everything, it was just really stressing me out, but it was just so good and so stressful at the same time. I thought, oh my God, I don't know what's going to happen. When's it going to happen? It's going to happen yeah. now. It's not yeah. going to happen. Oh God, it's happened. Yeah. Um, I will put a spoiler stamp on this one because the, I mean, it's been in the cinema for a, for a week and a bit now, so I'm sure plenty of people that are going to be listening to this will have seen it, but you know, it's always good to have a spoiler warning. The fact that part of the film centres around a talk show very much put me in mind of The Dark Knight Returns, which made any scene featuring Robert De Niro feel quite stressful, just because I felt like I knew what was going to happen. And actually, I was pleasantly surprised by the outcome of it, because it didn't happen the way I thought it would. Yeah, I mean, it was just the, the whole thing, I mean, it was done very well, because the film is a slow I mean when the director came out before it started he introduced the film said oh look guys keep an open mind it's a slow burner but it gets there yeah and you won't be disappointed yeah which is all very true it is a slow I suppose that is a slow burner but it's not really a slow burner it's a slow descent into becoming the character yeah yeah definitely and you can see how he gets there based on all the decisions that's happened throughout his life and it's, how the psychology behind that's underpinned that. Yeah, it's very... It, I mean, it's downbeat from the opening scene. I was very surprised that that opening scene is the one that's in a lot of the posters with him holding his mouth into a smile 
But even if you listen to what's playing in the radio behind him, when it's like, so we have a garbage strike, the rubbish is piling up in the streets, we have a plague of super rats, we've got no government funding, everything is just, it just beats Arthur down from the very beginning. His circumstances are just set out for him to not succeed in life unless he put the effort in. And that was that was the thing with him. He didn't, he didn't, there was no motivation to get himself out of that situation. He succumbed to it. He let it get on top of him. And then it continued to pile up and pile up and pile up. And he kind of had, I'm going to do this in air quotes, no choice but to come to the conclusion that he came to. Well, I suppose that's not really that he thought, I wouldn't say that he let it get to him because, you know. Well, they just kept beating him down and he had, there was, there was no way to get away from it. It was, it was never, there was really no hope for him. Really. No. So even though he was trying to get better, he was on medications, he was getting support, but as a sort of a nice sort of Lincoln sort of political jibe really about mental health services and how there yeah. really isn't any funding for mental health and for that scene where it goes to see his therapist and so they come really sorry Arthur but they're shut us down there's no money you're gonna have to go away yeah and he said where am I gonna get my medication from she's like we're shut down Arthur that's it yeah no more medication and I, that's very interesting to look at that from a sort of American point of view where that is what it's like well yeah, exactly um, you would kind of hope that that wouldn't happen here because we have a national health service but in America if you can't afford it you can't afford it but even here when you look at mental health services you know people go hundreds of miles just to get a mental health bed because there isn't anything locally this is true I'll, I'll cut off my NHS title <laughs> no it's fine I mean even the scene where he says to her all I have is negative thoughts and you're not listening to me I think you're right actually there maybe was a moment there where he could have if someone had just listened to him maybe he would have dug himself out of it but it just wasn't there I suppose you could always slip up in her head was she not listening to him or was she listening to him but not wanting to hear him because if she was to hear him what we should do about it yeah there's there are no resources to do anything about it other than being admitted to Arkham that doesn't really solve the problem yeah just moves it somewhere else oh I, I feel all hope and light just draining from me even thinking about it uh, good job we're going to see it again in a couple of hours um wow highlight moments I don't think I can really say there was highlight moments. I think there were moments in the film that were really well done. Yeah. Nothing oh. made me feel like, oh, that was really good. <laughs> um, I'd like to see the connotation between the character of Arthur and the character of young Bruce and how they they come on a journey together. Yes. And they arrive at a point where we expect them to be at. Yes. Uh, I was surprised by a certain twist that happens at the end of the film. I was glad by how it happened, and I was glad by the characters who were involved in it and or weren't involved in it. Um, but, wow. I mean, that I about fell off my chair at that point. But when Joker rose up on the car bonnet at the end, you could feel the film uh, kind of galvanise everything it had said, and he rose up, and that was a happy moment for him. That was like a... That was the moment... I think he found who his true identity was, even though he'd earlier in the film said that that um, to Robert De Niro's character, "Can you introduce me as Joker?" I don't think that was anything more than Arthur still playing a character. I think he very much was playing different characters throughout the film. But when he rose up on that car bonnet with everyone cheering around him in their clown makeup and their clown masks, with Gotham completely burning around him, I think that was the moment that he suddenly realised who he was, and that was truly terrifying. 
Yeah, because I suppose the whole thing throughout the film was him saying that nobody knows who he is or he doesn't he doesn't exist. But in that moment, he's got you know hundreds and hundreds of rioters raising him up on a platform of the Joker. Anything that you weren't particularly keen on in the film? I just the whole film made me feel really uncomfortable, but in a good way. Yeah, if that makes sense. I wasn't so keen on that last scene, which has comedic value. But I just felt wasn't possibly necessary after that rising up moment. I felt like it could have ended on him rising up, and you would have just ended the film uh, with a movement being kind of born. Um, I wasn't really sure what that final scene stood for in terms of the context of the whole story of the film. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I suppose it. I mean, either way. It Symbolically, it was obviously something because everything was white. And I know we was it was kind of it was Arkham and you could say it's a white padded cell, but that fill that scene sorry looks completely different to every other scene in the entire film. And I'm not suggesting it's a reshoot or anything. Um, it just it's very different and stands for something that I just don't quite know. Maybe it'll make more sense to me when I've seen it again. But I just don't quite know what that was about, other than the comedic moment of him running back and forth in a sort of Benny Hill style with people running after him. Yeah. There was one other shot which I felt, for some reason, again, in that first viewing, felt forced to me, which was young Bruce standing over his parents. We'd seen them be... We knew who he was. We knew who Thomas Wayne was. We knew what he stood for. We'd seen them be shot, so we'd had the Batman origin. I just wasn't sure why we then needed to go back to it several minutes later to see him crying over his dead parents. I don't... I just... For some reason... On first viewing, to me, that I felt like I could hear someone at Warner Brothers saying, let's just make sure we've driven home the point that this kid is now going to be Batman. I suppose because it then flips to the Joker on the car and be like, oh, I'm the Joker. Yeah. So I suppose if we're just saying that he's now the Joker, you've now created... Yeah. The, I think I think there was sense to it. I just the, I wasn't sure that it was necessary. I have to say, I absolutely adore the score. I'm not going to try and say the name of the, the woman that composed it because uh, I don't think I can... Um, I have to ask Alexa to say it for me, um, but the score is absolutely outstanding. If I mean, the, I do, I agree that I think there are certain parts of this film that require a nomination for an Oscar. I don't know whether it's quite going to get like a best film or a best director, but I certainly feel Joaquin Phoenix just, like deserves a best actor, and I would suggest best original score for. Uh, I can say Hilda. That's her first name. Um, it's just a surname I can't do. Uh, it's so. Hilda the score lady. It sounds at times I feel like it sounds like Game of Thrones when I listen to it on its own, but there's just it's it's like a um down tuned double bass or a cello or something. It's just very droning and very downbeat and fits the film absolutely perfectly and is creepy as hell at times. I actually uh sorry, I know you were just about to say something. I was just gonna say I listened to it on the um on the hotel shuttle on the way back to the airport as we were leaving New York uh, so as we were driving around the streets I was listening to it and it felt really quite fitting because you were driving through the streets of a very rainy dark New York yeah it just fit it absolutely perfectly I ended up taking a whole bunch of photos there on my phone of random like derelict looking buildings because it just all fit perfectly with what I was looking at as to what I was listening to at the same time very 2009 of you <laughs> thank you very much um, yeah, we were we were going to go and find the steps, but they were in a really dodgy part of New York. So yeah, so I looked it up before we went uh, to to New York, and it was it was in it was New Jersey, wasn't it? It was like 
Brooklyn or the... no, it wasn't Brooklyn. It was a, it was in the Bronx. In that Bronx. was it. Um, and when we yeah, when we Google mapped it, it maybe wasn't in the best area for us to just go wandering to look for a set of steps. Particularly as I probably would have ended up doing like the dance on the steps for you to take a picture of it. Yeah, no, we didn't do that. Any final thoughts on Joker? Other than definitely an amazing film, but not one that I can go and see at the cinema four times like I normally do with a comic book movie because I think I, I don't have the will. Yeah, no, it's not. A, I wouldn't say it's your typical comic book. It's not going to be your Saturday night. Let's watch a comic book movie choice, is it? Yeah. This is this is going to go in my special box with like um, Requiem for a Dream. I need to be in a specific mood to watch this type of film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What would be your scores on the doors? Oh, oh, I think I gave this a 9 out of 10 in my review. Um, You can read my full review. It's over on the website now, getyourcomicon.co.uk. I gave it a 9 out of 10, yeah. I basically said... This was my, this was my thoughts on it. I said a masterpiece for the comic book genre. I don't necessarily feel that it is a masterpiece of cinema because I feel there are better films in the you know oscar world genre um but for a comic book movie this is an absolute masterpiece what would you score it um probably a nine as well actually very it's up there just because it's so different to what we're used to seeing from that genre absolutely that is about it for this episode of the geico podcast um, I had a funny feeling that we weren't going to be able to cram in all of New York into one episode, so there'll be a little bit more New York when we come back in a couple of weeks. What else have we got to tell the people at home about from New York? We've got Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, yep. Uh, random Adventures with the Hulks, because we were out there with uh, with Nicola and Chris. We also got to see Alex from DC World and Tasman, the aspiring Kryptonian, who were there too. So we've had plenty of random New York adventures. Yep. Uh, Ellen's Stardust Diner, your choice of dining venue for one night, which was quite an experience yep it was worth queuing an hour for to get into certainly i've never uh, been seen so much confetti in my life no uh what else do we get up to so much mid uh, visit to midtown comics which you always have to do when you're in new york the film and movie tour as well that was always fun yeah we did a film and movie tour we'll tell you all about this when we come back in a couple of weeks my shoes are still wet we've also got to tell you about episodes four five six and by that point seven of titans <laughs> So we will have uh, met Aqualad, we will have met uh, Superboy, and we will also find out, hopefully, what happened to Jason after he was kidnapped by uh, by Deathstroke. I say that, we've obviously already watched them, we've just not talked about them. Batwoman will be on TV, so we've already watched the pilot. Um, you can read my review of the pilot episode over on the website now, but we'll talk about that. Uh, and I will have been to see uh, Zombieland Double Tap, which is coming up this week. You're still on the fence as to whether you're going to see this one or not, because you're not sure how scary it's going to be. Yeah, I may see it. <laughs> we got new competition that is launching next week on the website where you can win yourself a copy of Wonder Woman Bloodlines on DVD, courtesy of our friends at Warner Brothers. So watch out for that one, which is launching on the 14th. Uh, we might also, you know, give away some stuff from New York Comic Con because we got a bit of a bag of swag that we brought back with us. We do have some swag. Yes, including a signed poster from the team of uh, at Marvel, including Donny Cates. I think that's everything that will be going on in the next couple of weeks. Plenty. It's a very busy time of year with all the TV shows coming back. We will have seen Arrow as well. We'll finally be back by then. That's the only one of the shows that's not started yet. Lots to see, lots to do, lots to talk about. 
plenty of comic books. I'm going to finally tell you about Teen Titans Raven by Cami Garcia and Gabriel Piccolo that I've been harping on about on Twitter and Instagram for the last few days because it's just a revelation of a book, I might say. Got anything that you want to tell us about comic book-wise that you've got lined up? Um, Maybe, maybe. I'm reading a lot of... I've delving into the archives at the minute, so I'm reading a lot of classic Tim Drake, so maybe we may, may talk a bit about that. I've managed to read five volumes in the space of a couple of weeks. Cool. We also picked up a few board games while we were away, uh, mulling over the idea of uh, maybe having a bit of a chat about Funkoverse, the board game, because I know we've got a lot of Funko fans out there. Oh, let us know if you want to watch us play a board game live. Oh, I can also tell you that Claire has told us that she wants to see it, so oh, really? okay. the demand is there. But we anyway, have to invite some additional players. That is enough for now, because we need to go and see Joker again. So until next time, bye! Ooh.